Traditional marriage is in real trouble in California. Traditional marriage is in real trouble in California. It's time for everyone to get involved. Traditional marriage is in real trouble in California. It's time for everyone to get involved. leaving you hanging. Don't worry, nothing personal. It'll all be over November 4th. That's right. <laughs> but you won't help us? Help you? <laughs> <laughs> it was our decision that put you there. That little rope is your only hope. Well, there is the... Shh, don't say that. What? The voters. Oh. November 4th? The voters? The voters can save us? That's right. The voters can save marriage for everyone. The voters can save marriage? Technically, if they pass Prop 8, we are overruled. Well, how is that possible? I thought we made all the final decisions around here. A constitutional amendment puts marriage out of reach. Out of our reach? We're the California Supreme Court. Everything we've envisioned? Everything we've worked for? Gone? Gone? Pretty much. Gone. Traditional marriage would be safe again in California. One man, one woman, forever. Yuck. Thanks to four California judges, traditional marriage is in big trouble right now. Marriage has been on solid ground in California for a long time, but not anymore. A few years ago, 61% of California voters said only marriage between one man and one woman is valid in California. This year, four judges rejected the wishes of over 4.5 million California voters. The California Supreme Court rejected marriage as we've always known it. It's unconstitutional, they said. Yet, this doesn't have to be the end of the line for holy matrimony. On November 4th, voters like you can rescue marriage. If we don't act now, marriage as we know it could be gone forever. Democrats, Republicans, and Independents can all vote yes on Proposition 8. Voters can amend the state constitution to permanently protect traditional marriage in California. The people can restore what activist judges have taken away. This fall, CCN and thousands of California pastors invite you to three simulcast rallies to protect marriage in California. Join Christians from around the state and host these three historic CCN simulcast events. For more information, go to protectmarriagesimulcast.com. If we don't save marriage now, it could be gone forever.
tradition. Appreciate our law, don't you? Amen, I do. Hallelujah. It's a good theme this morning. Good theme. Could we, uh, I won't make everybody move around again, I was going to, but maybe I could ask for our, our lighthouse keepers to stand where you are. We, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for you. No, you know what, I'm going to make us move around. Come on down here and sit, please, <clears throat> in this front row again. Not to displace you, but, sorry. Right, well, just see, let's see how it fills up. Stay put. You don't have to move entirely. Go back. But I'm going to borrow the front row again. We're heading into the Truth Project. And uh, have a seat. Have a seat. Relax. Enjoy yourself. That feels like a heater came on. So, bad idea. We have something set backwards. Mm-hmm. We want to put the heat on in this moment, but not like that. In... Uh, I'm going to follow a principle this morning with the Lighthouse Keepers. Heading into the Truth Project, uh, simulcast is next Saturday, and then we're off and running. And um, we've got a tremendous opportunity to strengthen the body of Christ and to reach out to those who are unsaved as well. In Deuteronomy, there's a point where it's rehearsed for us that Moses is talking to God and says, you know, what should I do here? How do I handle the leadership of this nation? He says, call the elders out and uh, put your hands on them, and I'm going to take what's of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they're going to help rule with you. We also know that at the end of that time, when, when Moses was going to put Joshua in as the next leader of Israel, that God told him, bring Joshua out in front of all the people, in front of the whole nation, put your hands on him, and I'm going to take of the spirit that's on you and put it on him, so that... As the, the whole nation has been obedient and following you, they will also now follow him. And so Moses obeys that, brings Joshua out and charges Joshua and the people of Israel and then puts his hands on Joshua. And the spirit of God, that, of wisdom and whatever was available, Moses was uh, imparted to Joshua for his leadership. And so that's what I want to do. I'm not trying to put myself in Moses' slot, but I do know that I am the pastor. I figured it out. <laughs> I'm the pastor, and there's a calling here, and there's, a, there's an anointing that comes. It's nothing of my own abilities, nothing of my own knowledge or strength or even my good looks. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Dave Ogren looks good. I, <laughs> that's a great story. We'll always remember that. I <laughs> so, but if there's an anointing and a grace of God that's on us, on me, the pastor, to lead and to shepherd, I just want to lay hands on you this morning and say, God, spread it out now. Give it to these leaders. Give them all the grace they need to do what they're called on to do. And the beauty of it is you've got this small group, this cell group, that you can minister to and shepherd and love and encourage and train and equip. And I just want to do that. Is that all right? All right. Would you pray with me? Amen. Father, this morning as we do this, lay our hands on your people. 
upon your leaders, those you've, you've set your mark upon, and you've said that they would be your shepherds and under-shepherds to the people of this community. Lord, we thank you that even now as we lay our hands on them, that there is an impartation that comes. It's nothing that I can do, Lord. It's by your Spirit, and I'm glad for that. Lord, I would not give them anything that's mine, but what belongs to you. And, and pray that in Jesus' name there would be an impartation, a transfer of wisdom, of knowledge, of joy, and strength in the Holy Ghost, that the kingdom of God would be upon them by an anointing to lead and to shepherd, and the grace to deal with hearts and people that change, uh, and that those who are fickle and even those who are unsaved. Lord, we declare an impartation of your grace upon these this morning, that as we move into the Truth Project and beyond, that this spirit in them, your spirit in them, Lord, would be mighty, would be full, would be full-orbed. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy would be upon them. Grace to carry a load greater than their own. Mercy to be able to spread their life into others' lives and bring them forward in Jesus' name to a new level of discipleship and victory in their lives. Lord, let their Lighthouse families come together during this time. Let there be real koinonia, fellowship and sharing and lord i pray that you would give them more than information that you would give them revelation that leads to transformation in jesus name amen amen Amen. be blessed blessings on you thank you thank you So I do need to introduce a couple here this morning, Rob and Shannon Hastings. <laughs> these are, and now, if, if you haven't ever met them, these are the guys we talk about a lot. <laughs> this is this is when we say Bev's son, Trisha's brother, Gary's brother. You know, we go down the list. Anyway, this is them. Say something important. It's just great to be back home. This is definitely home for us, and um, it's just great to celebrate and know that the Spirit of God is in this place, and it's so exciting. And um, that's fine that's fine Uh, these guys grew up here and part of the church we sent them off to Guatemala for almost four three three years and uh, they were missionaries for us in Guatemala and now they're uh, uh, assistant associate pastors in Oakdale California at uh, church up there near Modesto, if you know where that's at. <clears throat> and uh, down here on a little vacation. I bet it's been very little vacation. <laughs> a lot of catching up with family and parties and things to do. And you'll go home to get some rest. Anyway. Good to have them here. Now, I know that's not a heater that's on now. Yeah. I'm going to start running around and get warm. 
How many of you remember the title of the message four weeks ago? Not, I had to look it up, okay? It's all right. It's called, Our Hearts Are at Stake. Remember that? Our hearts are at stake. <clears throat> how, about, how about last week? Anybody remember last week? Don't encourage me too much now. Preparation of the heart. Preparing your heart for transformation. Today, you've already sung the title. When your heart is overwhelmed. And I looked at these titles and began to think, I thought, Lord, I think you're trying to tell us something about our hearts. There's something here that you're, you're dealing with that's beyond just the natural or the thinking structures of our life, our mind, our physical. He's wanting to speak to us about the inner man. The center of our being. What some would, uh, you know, I suppose in medical terms or something, they might call it the autonomic nervous system. In the Greek, it's called splankna. And it means the center of who you are. Yeah, I'm sure you'll want to write that down. Splankna. Uh, it, it's it refers to the you of you. You know, it's not the part of it's not the you that others know. It's that when somebody says, "Tell me about so and so," and they might talk about your outward appearance or your behavior patterns or something they know of you, and they describe you from the outside. And you might even have a, a painted on ability when you go out in public to say, "This is me," and this is how I act at work, and this is how people know me. And that's not really the you that we're talking about. It's the central core of who you are. It's who you are when you're by yourself. It's the very heart that we're talking about. And I believe that God is wanting to... to <laughs> I hear it. I don't know who's, who it is. Check your cell phones out the door. <laughs> this is a cell church. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Hey, everybody get your cells out. Turn them off. <laughs> cell church, cell church. Somebody misinterpreted the script, the thing. Is. I can tell this service is not going to be like last night. It's very different already. Now, if I start hearing the... Who's in trouble here? You are, okay. You're, it's totally fine. And you're not in trouble. It's just... New cell phone. Yeah, I understand. I understand. How do you do that thing? Don't worry about it. It's lending to the moment quite nicely. Tell them I said hi. Glad for coming. Yeah. Okay, let's try this again. You know, for being overwhelmed, you're doing really well. <laughs> You know, I believe that Big Bear Christian Center as a whole, and you saw these leaders, and there are more leaders like them. If you've been here a short time, they're listed here on this sheet of paper. This is our menu, if you will, of cell groups. That's why we're talking about cells. Uh, small groups, lighthouses, we call them. And there's some pictures on the board out there, and this is the directory. But we meet all over the community on different days, at different times, and different groups to uh, really strengthen one another, build and discipleship. And grow in Christ. And I believe that Christian Center is, is doing uh, very pointedly some things about bringing direction. And I think we also want to bring comfort in difficult times. We, we are, you know, we're pointing and we're saying these are hard times we're in. Anybody think we're in hard times? 
I mean, just generally, widespread, not just the church, but widespread. There's some hard times around, difficult scenarios. I'm going to read some of that in a minute. And, you know, in that moment, we need to help point direction. We need to help people find the path of life, get on it and stay on it and be safe. Uh, and while we're, we're pointing in the now and dealing with the temporal issues that we face and that we all face, I also think that Christian Center is lining itself up to bring long-term discipleship and training that will help people for a long time. It has always been my heart that at being a lighthouse on the mountain, that's what God has called us over the years, that it just stands in one place. You know, you can't see this one very well unless we collapse all this stuff, but, you know, pick one of these over here. A lighthouse doesn't move around. It stays in one spot, and, and people come and go. You know, people sail by and get their bearings from it and get direction and understanding. We have a lot of you, and maybe there are some of you here this morning that, Come to Big Bear to visit. And when you're here, you might even leave your own place to say, I'm just going to go, God, I feel like God wants me to go to the mountains and just kind of get away, clear my head, and seek Him. And uh, interestingly enough, He'll lead them into one of the churches, but specifically when He brings them here, you may sit down next to somebody you've never met, and they turn and say hello to you and give you the word of the Lord. Or you might hook up with somebody, go to lunch, and they speak into your life. We might have a prayer time in which, like this morning, you come forward. Nobody knows you, but your heart is overwhelmed, and you're searching for God's help. And in that moment, it comes. And it's like you've sailed into the lighthouse, gotten redirection, and now you're sailing out. That's what we're here for. We do like to keep people from time to time. We want to send them all away. And uh, so while we point the right direction, we also need to lead... In the now. And we, we are providing things that give long-term discipleship, long-term training, that if somebody does sail in here and park for a while, and eventually they take God takes you and moves you somewhere else, I want your life to have been way better for being here. I want you to be able to take what you've learned here, been discipled in here, and go somewhere else and almost be unsatisfied because you can't find the same thing where you go. And that's how cell church multiplies around the world. I can give you illustrations from the church Elim in Los Angeles where they have over 6,500 El Salvadoranians in this church in cells all over Los Angeles. And eventually one of them will get transferred. And one brother uh, we, we met, learned of, moved to Connecticut. His, his business moved him to Connecticut. And after he was there for a little while, he called home to the church in Elim and said, Pastor, we've been here now for a little while. We can't find anything like a cell church. It just doesn't exist here. What do we do? He says, I guess God's called you to start one. And within a year, they had 70 cells. Almost all of them filled with Hispanic-speaking people. I mean, you know, because when you're spoiled in cell and you're spoiled in relationship and you don't know what it's like to get together every week and have people care about you, love you, and you lead and pray for one another, and you go somewhere else and it's just like this all the time, you know, where you, all you see is the back of somebody's head. And then you go home. You say, that's not enough. I'm too used to having life through my cell group. So, we're pointing. We're leading. Sometimes the path gets a little narrow along the cliff. Say, here's the path of life. And somebody says, that looks a little shaky. (laughs) Looks a little dusty, rocky. I might slip and fall. That's when you and I come alongside and we lock arm in arm with them and say, well, we're not just going to point and say, go that way. We're going to say, come on, I'll go with you. And we're going to help them navigate the dangerous places until they're in safety. Amen? And so, 
the Truth Project, I really believe, is a major component of doing this for the next number of weeks. And we're going to give people strong foundations, give you and I strong foundations, and confirm where that path of life is. And if you have not memorized Psalm 119, 105, you need to, you need to memorize this, okay? Pick a version and memorize it. I don't know if we stick it up there or not, but I'm, I'm going to give it to you in the New International. It's real simple. Most of you know it. You just might know where the address is. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, you did know it, didn't you? Give yourself a pat on the back. You need to know that verse. <laughs> Amen. Your word, this word right here is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's two things, this Bible. One is called the Logos, the written, collected word of God, the Logos word. That word is general illumination for every part of life. It's like the lighting in this room. While it's not perfect, it does give general illumination, and I can navigate this aisle without hitting anybody fairly easily. So could you. But if we turn all the lights off and close the doors, now what do we need? We need a little miner's hat with a flashlight on it or a flashlight in our hand like an usher at the theater because we don't need to have general illumination. The Logos, in that moment, what we need is a rhema word from God. That's where God takes something from here, and when you open it, it comes to life, and it speaks to you in the now. What do I, what I need now? God, I don't know where the next step is. And he illuminates his word and speaks directly to you. As I believe he did this morning as we're singing scripture. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. And we, we determine in the moment, this is where we live. This is what we need. Are we overwhelmed? Yes, let's respond. And the word has illuminated our need and we responded. And God has given us the flashlight on our path and said, take the next step safely. So it is the rhema word and it is also the logos word. Whichever one you need is available, but his word is a lamp, a rhema to my feet, to my next step, and a logos to my entire life's path. His word... In your word, we sang it this morning, I place my trust. In your word, I rest. What do I do when my heart is overwhelmed? Psalm 61, as we were singing it, and I'm using the New King James Version this morning, and I think Ed's going to keep up with me on the wall there, so thank you for that, Ed. If you want to come along with me. Psalm 61 is attributed as a psalm written by King David during the period of his life in, that's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter, chapters 15, 16, and 17. This is when he had to flee Jerusalem because his own son Absalom had risen up to become king. He had, he had usurped the throne and declared himself king. And the word got back to David and said, your son Absalom has declared himself king. And he's got a bunch of guys around him and they're saying, long live the king, King Absalom. And David fled from Jerusalem, rather than raising up and grabbing his army and taking out his son and his, and his friends, he actually fled. And interestingly enough, during the period of his flight and running away from this moment of civil war and unrest and insurrection, he wrote nearly 26 psalms during this period of his life. Now, if you read David's psalms, and I, and I, I give uh, some of those to the lighthouse keepers in your notes this week, not all of them, but some of them, and if you read those psalms, you hear a man who's crying out, a man who's overwhelmed, a king, a leader, an anointed one from God who is overwhelmed. And this is one of them. 
Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. When my heart is overwhelmed, what is overwhelmed? You know, if you've been overwhelmed, you know what it is. Amen? Now, you may not have defined it, but I'm going to try to do that for you. Some of your versions say, my heart grows faint. Have you ever had a faint heart? Huh? That moment when life was just despairing? In the original language, what David writes, he says, my, my, when my heart is shrouded, when it's covered over, when it's overpowered by something greater, What did we say at the beginning? The battle that we're in is for our heart, not our stuff. It's for our heart. It's for the central core of who you are and how are you responding to life. How are you making it through day to day? What do you do when your heart is shrouded, when your heart is faint, when you are overwhelmed? Well, the first thing I'd say, if it's covered over, you need to get it uncovered. Seems simple, doesn't it? I was talking to a guy about burnout one time. He says, well, if you're burnout, the first thing you do is remove yourself from the fire. I thought, wow, that's pretty simple stuff. If you're covered over and there's that shroud, and somebody said last night when I asked, what does shrouded mean to you? They said, that means that the light is obscured. That what I used to be able to see clearly, I can't see anymore. My focus has been taken off. You heard Arloa speaking to us earlier this morning in the same vein. Did you hear it? The Spirit of God is speaking to us as a people. Thank Him for that. He's not left us to ourselves to figure this out. He's come to us as hope. We need to get it uncovered and we need to get focused on and resting in something and someone greater than whatever the overpowering agency is. Now, sometimes that overpowering agency seems to be circumstances, other people. Oftentimes, it's the enemy himself who's come to destroy, kill, and steal at your house, right? Whatever that overpowering agency is that's shrouding over and pressing you down and overwhelming you, you need to get out from under that, get uncovered, and get refocused and resting in something greater than you. That's why the psalmist David says, Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Rock that's higher than I am. Why? Because I need a new perspective. I need to be up over this shrouding and be able to, oh, look, things are not that bad. Things are not as bad as I thought. It's better up here. And don't you always like to live up here? Mm -hmm. Amen? On top? Yet there is that moment, our Lord and I were talking this week, that when God wants to perform, put his will into somebody, uh, one, one of our leaders said, 
God takes him into the valley of life and pounds him into the shape of his will. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's true. God says, it's time for you to be shaped according to my will. And he takes us into the valley where it's obscure and the trees darken everything and it's, it's beautiful. Things grow in the valley. There's nothing wrong with that. But then he gets us down there and he pounds us, pounds us into the shape of his will. And then he brings us out. I'll show you a scripture that deals with that in just a little bit. It's not hidden. It's available to everyone. But I just happened to found it. Lead me to the rock. That's what I need. Strong footing. Stability. Above. Out from getting uncovered. New view. There's other metaphors in this Psalm 61. The rock, the shelter, the tower, the wings. Now in Psalm 61, we've got some instruction here. Verses 2, 4, 5, and 8 show us the actions and the things that we can do. Every worshiper of God can duplicate what happens here in order to ensure God's eternal protection over their life in times of distress and turmoil. Here they are. Just read them to you. Cry out to Him. All of us can do that. Follow His leading. All of us can do that. Abide in Him. Hey, I can do that. Trust. Vow. Now some would get a little freaky about vows and they say don't make vows that you're not going to keep because they'll condemn you in the long run. I'm not talking about vows like that this morning. When David says... I will, I've, I've made my vows, and if you'll do these things with me and for me and, and lead me to the rock, then I'll be able to keep my vows. In other words, a vow is a declaration of my faithfulness to God and His faithfulness to me. It's an acknowledging that I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to always, all my life, I know I'm going to fail, I'm going to get off the path, I'm going to fall down, I'm going to hurt, there's going to be problems, but all in all, I am going this way forever. And if I fall down, I'll get up again and I'll go again. And I'll look for help and I'm going to be a mess up somewhere. I understand that. Thank you for your grace. But every time I get up, I'm going to be going in that direction. And I make a vow to God to serve Him, to love Him, and to be as faithful as I can be because He is ultimately entirely faithful. And I want to be like Him. You want to be like Him. So we make those vows where we declare faithfulness. It says here we can sing praise. And I like verse 8. So I will sing praise to your name forever. There's a lot to be said for praising God. More so than just the phrase, the trite phrase of, well, praise God. <laughs> you know, you can say that like a cover-up, can't you? How you doing? Praise God. Doing great. You know, and everything behind you just is in ashes. David says, hey. I will sing praise to your name forever. You know, praise is equated with faith. When you praise God, oftentimes it's for what hasn't happened yet. It's a declaration of faith and trust. He says, that I may daily perform my vows. One of the greatest things we have in our favor during times of great overwhelming external pressure is being consistent in our daily devotion. Being consistent to come into His presence. Being consistent to set aside a moment in time to say, this is for you. And to be very, very steady in unsteady times. This is what helps us. 
Second Chronicles chapter 20, I won't read it. Uh, we're actually going to, you're going to end up in Psalm 46, so I'll give you a head start. Psalm 46. But Second Chronicles chapter 20, we talked about David in his overwhelming time, had to flee his kingship because of his son, and in distress and turmoil, displaced, uprooted. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, things are going pretty well for him, actually, until... These other nations come out against them. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Maonites, all the ites showed up. And they said, we're going to attack you and we're going to take your throne. We're going to take Judah for ourselves. We're going to attack Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat says, call a fast. The whole nation, call a fast. We're all going to fast. We're all going to pray. We're all going to seek God together. We're going to ask him what we should do. They go through a rehearsal saying, God, you told us in the past and through our forefathers that whenever we were in trouble, we could turn our face to you and call upon your name in this place and do certain things. And we're doing them now because we're in trouble. And he goes on to say that there, there are so many against us that we don't have a chance, basically. And so, God, here we are in front of you. In verse 12, it says, Won't you judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. What do you need to do when you're overwhelmed? Get a new focus. You need to get your heart focused. And uh, I know that we can't get the gesturing on the recording. If you're listening online or you're getting a CD, I'm gesturing towards the center of my being. I'm not trying to get my eyes focused. Man, it's easy to lose my focus. <laughs> if I take my glasses off, I lost it. I'm talking about the central core being, direction, focus. And Jehoshaphat takes a nation and says, our eyes are on you. Our focus is on you. We don't have a chance here in this situation. And so the prophet comes into the midst of them and says, listen, all you uh, of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, And you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them, and this is where they're going to show up. You won't need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who's with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord's with you. Jehoshaphat bows his head. He worships, puts his face to the ground. The Levites, this is important in this moment, the Levites in verse 19, and the children of the Kohathites and the children of, of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And uh, I'm going to skip to verse 21. When they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and, and they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir and wiped them out. When they began to praise, David said, When my heart's overwhelmed, teach me now so I can praise you forever, so I can sing. Get my focus back so I can lift my voice and worship. And in this case, if they don't have a chance against their enemy's strength, God says, You don't have to fight. This is my fight. Your job is to determine how to praise me, how to worship me, how to get your focus right. And so they begin to worship. And they, they in fact, arranged it this way. They put the singers out in front. 
They put the musicians behind them to play behind them. And then the army followed the musicians. And as they marched out, they worshipped God. They said, this is our focus. We're going to focus on God's word. Verse 20 says, believe his prophets and you'll be established. They believed God. They extended their faith to a higher realm and said, God, you're in charge. And God beat out the enemies. There's a principle here for us. The thing I want to show you in Psalm 46 is that during this psalm is attributed to this period of time. And you'll see in the title it says, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. These are the guys that stood up and began to worship in that moment, the Korahites. And they wrote this psalm during this period. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Let me read something to you in a break here. Does that sound a little bit like Hurricane Ike? Somebody sent me some pictures this week of Hurricane Ike's results from the geological survey people. Unbelievable to me. Pictures from off the water looking onto the beach. Houses all on little sticks, you know. And a couple of arrows in the before picture, just a few days before. Little arrows pointing at a couple of houses as points of reference in the photo. And then you scroll down the page, and here's the same photo just after Hurricane Ike with the arrows, and the two houses are still in the picture, but everything else is gone. I mean, there's 30, 50 houses just disappeared. Sand washed up a couple hundred yards onto the beat, onto the land. I stole this. I honestly tell you, I plagiarized this. The newspapers across America, I wanted to actually wrote it so it looked like I wrote it, you know. <laughs> I got to the bottom and I said, I can't do this. Actually, I did change the terminology a little bit for us. The newspapers across America all have headlines detailing accounts of a staggering economy. Reports verify. This shocks me. <clears throat> Reports verify. $700 billion of investor money has been wiped out in just one week. $700 billion dollars. Some of you are shaking your heads because you know, probably because part of it was yours. Seven, I tried to figure out $700 billion. That's 700, that's, that's a, a hundred million a day. Right? A hundred billion a day. How do you connect with a number that big? I did it this way. Right now the Census Bureau reports that in America there are 305 million people in the United States. So think of that, just kind of widespread. 305 million people across all the United States, no matter what age they are, no matter their economic status, anything, just that many bodies. And then you stand up in the middle of it and you say, every one of you has to give me $2,295 now, this week, every one of you. And that's, that's how it works out. Nearly $2,300 per person in all of the United States vaporized in a week. Add to that the impact of Hurricane Ike 
the train wreck in California, unless you've endured one of these natural events or had the opportunity to visit the site of one of these devastated areas, it's nearly impossible to know what the folks who have been affected are going through. And our families, as I saw you shaking your heads, our families have been exposed to some of the things mentioned. So what do we say to them? What do we say? How do we help one another cope with the fears that can come up in a moment like this, in a, in a week like this? The first thing we should counsel is not to panic. Our faith is in God, not in money. We tend to think in terms of money in the United States. That's the status. That's the thing we use. We've all been in tight spots before and we'll survive this challenge also. Be patient. The second thing we must do is to encourage one another. Don't despair. We as believers in Christ have a marvelous opportunity in this time of crisis to show where our foundations are strongest. Be wise. Make the best decisions you can to minimize losses. That is a good advice. You know, you may not make money, but you can minimize losses. If there's a way to do it, do it now. Don't run credit cards up right now. You know, don't spend. Save a little. Hold back. Don't keep living at the same rate if it's not going to be the same rate tomorrow. You know what I mean? As Americans, I know the statistics. If we make $100, we spend 110 It's true. The average American goes $10,000 in debt over 10 years, $1,000 a year. It's amazing. And then, and then, of course, in 10 years, you just refinance, right? And then you're not in debt anymore, you think. Increase your faith practices. And this is where I rewrote it. Don't miss selling celebration. Sing, worship, pray, read, assemble. Be in places where you feel protected, not threatened. Give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Remember that God knows your situation and that He cares. Don't fret. Jesus said you can't add uh, an inch to your height or a day to your life by worrying about it. Amen? So worrying and fretting is not going to help. And I wrote at the bottom, most of this was plagiarized from H.B. London Jr. and adapted for Big Bear Christian Center's terminology. And I actually wrote it right here. It says, please don't send me to jail. (laughs) I don't think HB would send me to jail, but that is going to end up out there on our cell notes. So it is web searchable. And somebody finds me stealing HB stuff, they might give me a call. But I know HB and he's a good man and he'd let me steal it. He'd be proud that I used it, I think. We're in troubled times. Seven hundred billion dollars is a lot of money, and it's gone. You know that touches lives, that touches relatives, people's long-term retirement accounts, Kios, Iris, funds like that have just been never to be restored. Think of the trouble we're in in a nation. Doesn't touch everybody directly, but if it hasn't touched us directly, it will touch us indirectly. It may take a few weeks for it to pan out, but it's going to touch us. It's going to touch our friends, it's going to touch our relatives, and it's going to touch the people around us. We need to be those who, in the moment of overwhelming, can stand up and say, I've got a different focus. I've got a different picture of life. It's not about the stuff. It's about the rock. It's about eternity. It's about protection in the hard times. 
It's about having a stable place to stand when the rest of the world is shaking out around me. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Would you say that? The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This psalm was written in an overwhelming time when the odds were stacked against them, when all the enemies outnumbered them, and all they did was place their trust in the word of the Lord and said, God said, we don't have to fight, we have to worship. And as we focused on worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he wipes out our enemies. The principles are here. They're in the word of God for us to latch onto and live by. But the question, you know, one of the other psalms that was written by these guys during the same time? One of your favorites, Psalm 91. Yeah, isn't that something? If you know Psalm 91, if you don't, you need to know it. and At least know where it's at. Circle it, underline it, big arrows. Point to it, write it in the front of your Bible. So, you know, always go look at Psalm 91. Something that will help you remember it's there. Great, great psalm to pray through. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday, nor 500 points down on the Dow. Or 400 points back up on the Dow. Or creeping socialism with the government deciding to go into the insurance business and buy out AIG and flood money into the system and try and prop it up. Listen, they are not our trust. But we don't have to fear because of these things. A thousand may fall at your right side, at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Let me inject that at this time in Israel's history, there was a strong belief in demon warfare. I mean, they weren't just talking about natural man. They understood there were demonic forces in action at the time. And so this is a parallel type scripture to what we read in Peter where it says that our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when you get this thing about the cobra, you just go back to the Garden of Eden. You find yourself a serpent there. Amen? Amen. And it says, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. Romans 16, (laughs) 19 says... It's actually verse 20, I think. But nonetheless, it says that God will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Amen. 
Lord, lead me to the rock that's just a little higher than where I'm at. Get me on top of this stuff. Because he has set his love upon me. Now the Lord breaks in. This is great how the Psalms work because you got a psalmist writing and speaking maybe even prophetically and then God moves in and puts his sentences right in the middle of it. God says, because he, because you have set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What tremendous promises we have from God in the most troubling of times. Remember, this was written and penned during that time when the armies were outnumbered and God defeated all their enemies with them not having to fight. If you're trying to fight out your own battles today, you're trying to wrestle out from under the overwhelming all on your own, listen, give it up. Amen? Relax. Worship. Praise speaks of faith. Worship speaks of trust. Don't quit doing the daily things you always do in your worship, in your reading of the Word, in your following of Christ. That's what happens when we get overwhelmed. We get shoved to the side of the road and we don't think anybody cares. And and we get in the the mully grubs or whatever you want to call them. You know, the the down and out attitude and nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms thing and happens and falls on us. and And then we isolate, which is perfectly what the enemy of our soul would love, to isolate us so we just stay discouraged. That's what I love about lighthouses. I mean, if you walk into your lighthouse group, if you just keep going... And you show up there and everybody reads your face. He goes, oh man, are you in trouble. But we're not all in trouble at the same time. And so we become those who lend strength to one another and prop each other up. I mean, God help yourself if you all show up the same way. Amen. Everybody kind of leaning against each other. You know, just go shoulder to shoulder and find another cell group to help you. Something. But. You have to ask yourself the question, where is, during these times, where is my mind, where is my heart fixed? Fixed meaning focused. Where am I looking? Remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who meditates day and night. Be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Brings forth fruit in its season. Why? Because he's focused in meditation upon the word of God. Jeremiah 17, the prophet speaks in verses 5 through 8, and he starts out saying, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. He goes on to say, the guy that trusts in man is going to end up like a bush in the desert. (laughs) You know, Psalm says, you'd be like a tree planted by the river water. If you trust in man, you get to be the shrub in the desert. And then in verse 8, he says, but blessed is the man who trusts in God. And then he goes on, just like the psalmist, to say, that guy is going to be like a tree planted by the river of living water. Psalm 66, verses 8 through 12, talk about the process of being, process of pain and being overwhelmed. Should it bring some good, I think it can bring some good to our lives if we'll allow it to work in us. You know, don't always 
I'm not saying stay overwhelmed. I'm saying look for the process of what God is doing. Look at what happened here in Psalm 66, 8 to 12. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net like fish. You laid affliction on our backs. Think of the Israelites in Egypt. You've caused men to ride over our heads. Think of the times they were in bondage to other nations. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to abundance. Brought us out to a full life. You brought us out to rich fulfillment. In those times when we were overwhelmed, there's a moment when God can build your character strong and deep and forge into you who He is. Build into you an an ability to trust Him more so than before. He takes us in a little farther. He might even let somebody run over the top of you for a while. And if you're in that moment saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Don't say that. Say, God, thank you. You must be building something in me that's going to be really valuable. This is going to be awesome when you bring me out into an abundance. But I know you're going to bring me out. Hey, listen, when Jesus taught the parable of the two guys that built houses, remember this one? One built on rock, dug down deep, built on rock. The other guy built on sand. Mm -hmm. One guy built Big Bear. One guy built Galveston. Not, not picking on those guys, you know. It's just where you pick to build. Amen? And what happened? Storms came to both places. The same storm, maybe. You know, the winds blew, the floods came, and hit both houses. The one that was on sand disappeared. Total destruction, as we've seen illustrated. The one that's on the rock, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Still standing. What did Jesus say in that parable was important about those two? He said, "This, these guys are like, the one who built on the rock is like, the metaphor, the guy who hears my words and puts them into practice. This one hears my word and doesn't put it into practice. The difference is practice. The difference is application. The difference is not being a spectator. And just hearing it and never doing it. Whatever it is. So we're saying to you this morning, when your heart's overwhelmed, worship. When your heart's overwhelmed, tear it off by praising Him. And moving into your daily vow structure and not moving away from it. Stay consistent. And in the consistency of your daily worship of God and your pursuit of His Word, learn to trust, learn to rest, and complain a little if you need to. God understands complaints. He really does. I mean, there's a passage in the Psalms. If I'd have thought of it, I looked it up. It says, I, I decided that in my complaint, I was only going to talk to God. Amen. And that's a great piece of advice because we generally run around, find four or five friends or relatives or somebody else we can tell. Then we multiply our problem. Don't we? Come on. We go, and everybody's depressed. And you get done, you depress half a dozen people, and you're still not out of it. The psalmist goes, hey, I figured this out. That doesn't work. I'm just going to give my complaints to him. 
And, and we, you know, God made it available to us to come to the throne of grace in our stressful times to find the help we need. Amazing that he says we can actually come and complain. I don't know that we would do it very long before we'd be seeing his face and seeing dad looking back at us like, what are you saying? And we say, oh, never mind. Never mind. I was just a little off there, dad. Forgive me. Okay. (laughs) Psalm 27. You sang it this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. This is King David again. I like the title in my Bible. It's called An Exuberant Declaration of Faith. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He'll set my feet high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, God, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Don't leave me or forsake me, God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Wow. Some of you have been through that. Your mother and father did forsake you. But the Bible says the Lord wouldn't do it. He stays with you. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Don't deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. That word believed comes from the root word in in the Hebrew language where we get the word Amen. It's the word Aman. I would have lost heart. I would have had faint heart. I would have been overwhelmed. Same thing. Unless I had the Amen that says, So be it. God's in charge. I believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The final exhortation, wait on the Lord. We sang this morning about waiting on the Lord. Now, waiting on the Lord is not a picture of a bus stop. Sitting and waiting for the bus. Waiting on the Lord is this picture of leaning in with this gaze that is focused upward that says any moment now, God's going to break through. Any moment now, He's going to do something marvelous. Any second, I'm just hanging and waiting in expectancy and faith that says He's going to come through. I don't know how. I'm not sure which side it will come from. But I know it's coming because God's God and He'll never fail. He won't go back on His Word. 
And he said he would care for me and keep me and lead me through. And if they're going to ride on my backs for a while, well, then I'll draw the lines for them so they know where to drive. And uh, I'll let them roll over me as long as God wants, but I know that eventually I'm coming out. And when I come out, it's going to be with abundance. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the Tao will go up in your favor. Amen. It just means that when you come out with abundance, that your life is full orbed and round again and stable and good, even if you have nothing. I read this week an email from our friends, the Ruizes, if you know them, Perry and Michelle. Big Bear family. Followed the heart of God. Sold everything they had. How many of you know Michelle Perry? You know, Sold their home. Sold their, picked up their kids. Moved to the Dominican Republic, which is the neighbor of Haiti. In Haiti, the unemployment rate is 98%. When you have 98% unemployment in your neighboring country, and then, like, that's not enough, let's get Hurricane Ike right over the top of them. I mean, there's nothing there, really. And Perry and Michelle are down there working with this gal, and she's got a sick child, and they notice that she's got a little cinder block house. And I'm reading this in this email. And the further I go, the harder it gets. That they're witnessing her, sharing with her. She's a Christian now, and she's loving Jesus, has a sick child. And as they go and visit her little cinder block house, they notice every time they arrive, there's a little less in the cinder block. You know, the bench that used to be there is gone. And then the, the bed is gone and the table is gone. And she's basically selling things off as fast, fast as she can for the health of her child and the care that she needs. But if I'm recalling correctly, every time they show up, this lady is just singing, loving Jesus. She has absolutely, in your terms and mind, she has absolutely nothing. And yet if you ask her, just say, I've got everything. I may not have what you have, but I may have more than you have in some other departments. Where are we placing our trust? Where is our focus? Can't be in man. Can't be in the structures of men. Can't be in the, the schematics of the world. Has to be in God. Our faith is not in ourselves. Where's our focus? It's on God and His nature and His character, His unchanging person. We are kept and guarded by two things in the New Testament. Peace and power. The peace of God and the power of God. Philippians 4, 1 Peter chapter 1. It's in the notes for this week for the self that you know, it says, if you have any anxious thoughts, come to God and make the great exchange. So God, here are my anxious thoughts. He says, good, here's my peace that passes understanding. Oh God, here's my anxious thoughts. He goes, great, here's, here's the eye of the storm. Are you fascinated, like I am, with these guys that get in these big four-motored aircraft props, big airplanes, and they fly right into the hurricanes? I mean, they find their, they navigate their way into that... 120 mile an hour wind circle and, and penetrate and then they fly through it and they send us out measurements of what's going on inside. I tell you, it just makes my palms sweat. I get excited. I think, man, I'm going to go with them. And they know at any, at any moment they turn wrong. The thing's splinters. What terror. <laughs> oh, man. And they're sending back wind readings and speeds and all this, and then whoosh, they pop into the eye. Cold. It's quiet. It's still. 
Even people on the ground with Hurricane Ike said, we were in the eye of the storm and we knew it. Because everything was flying around. And then all of a sudden it was just quiet. Nothing was moving. We thought, we're right in the middle of this thing. Come on. If that doesn't scare you, you're, you're something wrong with you. <laughs> I'd love to be there. But I just want to be able to be kind of poof in and poof out. You know? <laughs> kind of like, beam me up, Scotty, kind of thing. You know, I like that stuff. I like tornadoes. I'm Ten miles away. But I do. I like the raw force of nature. And I think God is way bigger than all of this. Ooh. He says, you got any anxious thoughts? Yeah, at about 80 to 120 miles an hour, I have a few anxious thoughts in my life, using the metaphor. God says, well, let me just move it over a little, and you can be in the eye. And you will experience peace that your mind cannot comprehend why it's happening. You can stand and fly in the middle of it and say, why is it like this? I'll never know, but I'm experiencing it. Peace that passes understanding. We're kept by the peace of God. First Peter says, even though you're in troubled times for a little while, the power of God will keep you. And Philippians 4 says, the peace of God will guard your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. In First Peter 1, it says, your hearts are kept by the power of God. The word kept and guard are the same in the Greek, and the picture is this. It's a military term. I mean, like the little tin soldiers? You got the little thing there and the little hat and the, got his gun in front of him. As a sentry. He's a sentinel. And that's the picture. It's a military term. It says, when you give your anxious thoughts to God, he sends these little soldiers and they park in front of your mind, in front of your heart, and they guard it. Hallelujah. I get, uh, you know, I'm in trouble times. I see I come park here and here. Just stand right in front of my mind. And they stand there with their weaponry and their military might, and they say, God has posted me here as a sentinel at this doorway. Nothing gets past me that's going to disturb my occupant. Nothing. The mind, and where's the war? For the heart. Where's the focus of my heart? Throw all my anxious thoughts to Jesus. Get the peace that passes understanding. Rest back in the power of God to save me. And finally, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, in all these things, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking. Compound word. Looking unto Jesus. Compound word. Away from and to see. Away from being the first part of the word. To see is the second. How do you put a word together that says to away from see? And come up with looking. Away from means that I look away from every other thing that's available to see. I take my focus off of everything else, away from everything else, to see Jesus. It means having a singular focus and being able to zero in, let, let the hurricane go around, let, let whatever's happening go. Let's not look at it. Let's not focus there. Let's focus here on Jesus, the author and the finisher of everything about our faith. We're in troubled times, but we don't have to be unstable in them. We should be those who the neighbors want to get to know. We should be those who are demonstrating life and truth and peace, even if our house was on the beach in Galveston. And the picture, you know, we're going to take that picture and show it to people. See, this is the before. This is my house. This is the after. This is the not my house. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Everything I had on the beach, gone. 
But I'm not gone. And my God didn't quit. My life's okay. It's not about stuff. It's about eternity and my hope. You know, uh, Ed said he had this. Uh, this is a hymnal. Remember those? I did this. I actually did this a month ago. Rob's a worship leader at his church. He knows this book. You might want to jump in and sing with me and help me because if this recording goes out without you on it, we'll interrupt the internet. (laughs) My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, this morning, thank you for pulling our hearts back to you. Thank you for giving us the grace to come out from under overwhelming Thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. And thank you for your power that keeps us in the midst of all the difficult times. Lord, I thank you for the history of your word on which we can lean our trust fully. And thank you for the work of your son at the cross, which will never be defeated. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning, your family, that in Jesus' name every single one of us will be lifted up. And put our feet on a rock. Give us a better view. Give us an upward glance of faith. That causes our anticipation to look for you Jesus. To come through in every place in our life. Lord we would lift up those who are in stress and distress. Because their trust was in their Kia or their Ira. Or in the markets that are so fluctuating. God Would you help draw them into this place of peace that passes understanding? Come and be their reward. Be their their, uh, success in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Love one another the best you can. Hey, and see you in those cell groups, all right? If you're not in one, get in one. The Truth Project is coming. If you need our help getting in one, let us know. We'll help.